Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. All right, guys, I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to continue on in Paul's discussion. Really, in the first two chapters, he's been talking to the Thessalonians personally. They were going through some difficult times. They were going through severe persecution, and but yet they were confused. And so he's writing this letter as an encouragement to them. And we've been going through this first part. We'll get to the teaching part when we get into chapter 4, but we're trying to learn some things from his encouragement to them. And so we've seen, as we've gone through chapter 1 and through the first part of chapter 2, that he's been giving them some guidance concerning different things as a part of their life, concerning, first of all, their faith, what their faith is holding on to, and who they are in Jesus and so forth. Today he's going to talk about the whole issue of enduring, something to endure. And so we're going to focus on 1 Thessalonians verses 13 through verse 20, through the end of the chapter. Paul writes this, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, And they did not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire." Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Now, here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to take these verses, we're going to talk about this whole issue of enduring, and we're going to divide it into two sections. We're going to see, first of all, the first part, which is verse 13. He's going to give you a foundation. He's going to talk about the foundation that was existing in the Thessalonians' lives. It's the same foundation, spiritual foundation, that has to exist in your life. Because if you're going to endure whatever life throws at you, And life's going to throw stuff at you out of nowhere. It doesn't have to be the stuff that we're all facing right now. 
But you yourself have different things that are going on in your life. There's family issues, there's work issues, there's financial issues. There's people who are, who are in your life that are not happy about your faith and they express that in whatever way. You've got all this stuff going on and you're wondering, how am I going to get through that? You've got to have a foundation to rest your hope on. You've got to have something to carry you through. So that's what we're going to see in verse 13. Then when we get to the issue of verse 14 through 20, we're going to see the path of suffering. And I'm just going to tell you this right off the bat if you want to write this down. The Christian life is to be lived on a path of suffering. Just being honest with you. You have to go through a path of suffering. The scripture assumes that. Think about David, Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the what? The valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Throughout Scripture, it's telling you that suffering is a part of your life. Every New Testament book tells you you're going to suffer. Jesus tells you you're going to suffer. Now, I know the guy on TV says, if you have enough faith, you're not going to have that happen. That's not true. If you look at their lives, they suffer as well. They just don't admit it because admitting it would keep people from giving them money. The reality is, is that all of us, all of us have to suffer. And so we're going to see that. But you've got to have that foundation first. So let's talk about that foundation. If you and I are going to get through the difficult struggles, if we're going to endure. And by the way, can I give you a promise? What kind of promise, George? Well, when you go to Revelation and you go to chapters 2 and 3, you'll see the seven letters to the seven churches. And after he says something to each one of those seven churches, he gives a promise to each one of them. It's a promise to each one of us. He gives seven promises to those who overcome. What do you mean over, overcome what, George? Overcome the struggles and the difficulties that we face in this life. There's a promise for you and I. So hang in there. That's the whole point of Scripture. Hang in there. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to your trust in Jesus, okay? So here's the spiritual foundation. Look with me, verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because you received the word of God which you heard from us. You welcomed it, not as word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. All right, so I'm going to point out three things here that are key for this foundational thing for you and I. Here's the first one. They recognized that the gospel was not simply the word of men. They recognized that the gospel was not simply the word of men. So what they're recognizing here is this. They're recognizing that when that gospel, the message of Jesus, because that's what the gospel is, is good news. And the gospel isn't prayer, prayer, and you'll be saved. That's not the gospel. That's somebody's shrinking down the gospel to try to present that. The gospel is Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the salvation that comes through believing in Jesus Christ. They recognize that when that message was presented to them, in whatever means, 
It wasn't just the message of men. It was the message of God for them. Do you understand? It was the message of life. So you think back to the moment when you came to a conclusion of who Jesus is and you accepted him in your life, as some people would say, or you trusted in him or you gave your life to him. You think back to that moment. At that moment when you heard the gospel, something opened up in your mind. Something opened up in your heart so that you said, I need that. I need you, Jesus. And you gave your life to him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you can think back. Some of you are like, boy, that's been a long time ago. I understand. But some of you can think, I can think back 30-some years ago in my room in Columbia, South Carolina on Green Springs Drive in my mom and dad's house when I was reading the Gospel of John, I got down on my knees. Something opened up in my mind where I recognized who he was and I wanted to follow him because it wasn't just the words of men. In fact, let's be honest. When you think about the Gospel, that somebody would be taken and executed on a cross, buried, raise again on the third day, having, quote, our sin, all the bad things that you and I have ever done placed on him, giving us new life. That really sounds, in human terms, ridiculous. In fact, that's what some people think. It's like, why would you believe that? In fact, that's kind of like what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verses 21 to 25. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God used something so foolish, something so outrageous, as a means of salvation. And so he's saying, for that foundation in their life, they recognized that that message wasn't for men. Because men wouldn't even come up with that. Here's the second thing he says. They recognized the gospel as truth. They recognized it as truth. That here we are, humanity, in our lost state, humanity basically... Desperate, not knowing what to do. No matter all of our efforts, what we, you know, we, you know, you and I sin. Let's just be honest. We sin. We do wrong things, right? Everybody agree with that? Have you figured out how to clean that up yet? I mean, let's be honest. When you do wrong things, first of all, there's the consequences of the wrong things. You can't clean up all those consequences, right? Let alone the guilt and the shame that you carry. Now, some people try to deal with that through different means, but they still can't get rid of that, right? It's always there. 
And here you are, even as a believer, you know that from your personal life. Even though you know Jesus and you know you're forgiven, you're still haunted by it, right? But you at least have the hope of knowing that it's taken care of and it's not going to haunt you anymore when you go to be with him, right? So here you are in this world, you know that there's nothing that we can do to get rid of the junk that we've done wrong. But here comes someone, here comes God himself, he sends his own son, and he gets rid of it for us. And he gives you hope. And he gives you peace. And you recognize this is truth. It's not the words of men, it's truth. So here's the foundation. The foundation in your life is as you are going through the stuff you're going through, you're holding on to something, you're holding on to a hope that's not just the words of men, that's not just something George taught you. This is truth, it's from God. And then he goes one step further to help you to understand that it's not just simple belief. It's not just simple belief. Look at the last part of verse 13 there. He says this, But as truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. He's saying that that message that you believe, that truth, that word of God that you recognize is not the, the word of man, but that it's truth, it's from God, it's for you, is even now working in your life. So here's the third point I want you to see. The gospel works effectively in believers now. And you know that, right? Because you're seeing it on a daily basis. That that message of salvation, that, that hope that you have grasped a hold of, that, that belief because of the word of God that has come to you, it is working on you every day because it's changing you. It's strengthening you. It's affecting you daily. Did you understand? And, and, then, and you recognize that. And it's, it's continually working in you, Right? In fact, isn't that what the testimony of Scripture is throughout all the other epistles? Paul has this confidence that he who has begun a good work will continue it. Until when? Until you go to be with Jesus? See, that's the foundation. The foundation is when you look at the stuff that we're going through and we're going to go through. What do you mean the stuff that we're going to go through? Hey, have you not lived long enough to know? Maybe you got a breather this week, but something's coming around the corner. There is, right? He gives you strength to endure. He gives you, you have a foundation of hope with him. And you got to rest in that. See, this is what he's doing here in verse 13. He's remembering, and notice what he says. I think this is awesome. He said, for this reason, we thank God without ceasing. He is continually thankful for them because he recognizes they grasp the hold of the truth. They're holding on to the gospel. It's working in their life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in their life. Isn't that awesome? That's the foundation for them as they endure. Well, then he goes on in verse 14 through 20, and he talks about the path of suffering. And let's be honest. We're all on that path. Now, it's going to be a little bit different for each one of us, but we're all on that path. And, and I think it would behoove all of us to begin to develop our own theology of suffering. See, a lot of us haven't been taught a theology of suffering. We've been taught, if you accept Jesus, everything's going to be okay. Well, yeah, yeah, it's going to be okay, but that's not the full truth. And you and I know that. 
Nobody told you that the moment you got saved that this crisis was going to happen, that this loved one was going to die, that this was going to happen, that this was going to happen, and this. And, and Jesus carried you through it, right? The doctor telling you this, and this happening, and this. Nobody told you that. See, each of us have our own paths of suffering that we have to go through, right? But here's some things I want you to see, okay? Five things, all right? Here they are. Number one. Here's what he says, verse 14. You've got to grasp this. You're going to develop your, your personal theology of suffering. Here's the first one, verse 14. For you, brethren, became imitators of the church of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Judeans. Okay, here's what I want you to see. Here's the first point I want you to see. Suffering for your faith is universal and normal. Suffering for your faith is universal and normal. Now here's what he says to them. You became imitators of the churches in Judea. Wow, so they're following the example. But then you look at what the example is, you're suffering just like they're suffering. What's his point? Oh, I want to be like them. How can I get beat up on? No, that's not his point. The point is, you're going through the same things they are. Because number one, suffering is universal. Remember, I already mentioned that to you. Rains on everyone, the just and the unjust. What? Sun shines on the just and the unjust. Everyone faces difficulties. And when you talk about suffering for your faith, that's universal and here's the second one. It's normal. It's normal to have people not like your Jesus. Do you understand me? It's normal when you tell them, I'm a believer and I trust in Jesus and I go to church. It's normal for people to react negatively. You need to understand that. It's normal to go through the difficult struggles. That's the path of suffering. You and I need to understand that. Quit thinking it's abnormal, quit thinking there's something wrong with you. In fact, the implication of Scripture is, if, if there's nothing wrong going on, there's something wrong going on with you. Because if you're a believer, it's universal and it's normal. Next thing I want you to see from verse 14 is this. You will endure suffering from those around you. You will endure suffering from those around you. I think there's, you know what, we, we live in a culture right now, uh, I see it in some churches, it's, it's a tempting thing, sometimes I'm tempted by it, sometimes we as a church can be tempted by it, into thinking that we need to do things in order to be liked by everyone. Well, the problem is, you're never going to be liked by everyone. Does everybody understand that? I mean, first of all, that's humanity 101. That's the lesson of humanity, right? Everybody, you ever, ever go to a job and you're like, oh, I want to make friends with everybody, and then you meet some guy, and he just, for some reason, doesn't take to you, doesn't like your face, doesn't like your hairdo, doesn't like your voice, and you, you can't even, and you're like, what's going on here? Well, the fact is, that's humanity. You're never going to get everybody to like you. See, you're never going to, you understand, when you, especially, we need to wake up, church, 
Nobody's every, not everybody's going to like your Christianity. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And you will endure suffering. And, and what you mean, was that suffering, George? Well, yeah, it's its own form of persecution. It's called isolation, isn't it? It's called rejection. How many of you like to be rejected? I want to be rejected. Nobody. We don't like that, right? See, that's the next thing. Number one, it's universal and normal. Number two, you will endure suffering from those around you. Who around you? Can be your neighbor that moves in, like I just said, somebody at work, somebody at Walmart. Here's the one that really hurts, your own family. Right? Your own family. The people you love. Here's the third thing I want you to see about this path of suffering. We see, look with me at verse 15 now. He says this, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their prophets and have persecuted us. They do not please God and are contrary to all men. Here he's talking about what the churches of Judea were doing, were facing, and why they were facing it from their own countrymen. It's kind of the same thing that we see happening around us even now. The basis for the opposition is the hatred of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? You need to understand this. The reason why people don't like Jesus is not because he's not a nice guy. You can't help but read the Gospels and fall in love with Jesus, right? You can't help but read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just fall in love with Jesus. And it's like, man, he is an awesome. He's not some religious wag your finger at. I mean, he is awesome, right? I mean, you can't help but love Jesus. But okay, well then what's the problem? Why don't people love Jesus? I'll tell you why they don't love Jesus. Because of what Jesus stands for. And that's because people don't want to have to answer to anybody. When you recognize who Jesus is, you recognize you have to answer to somebody, right? You have to answer to who? God. And people don't want to answer to God. And so they reject it. And so that's the next part of this, this whole issue of the pathway of suffering, is, is that the opposition that's out there is because they hate Jesus. You need to understand that. How's that possible, George? Well, if you come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul tells them that our gospel, that is the message of hope, is people aren't accepting it. It's not because it's hidden from them. He said, but what? The God of this age, who's that? Satan, has blinded their eyes to the truth. They can't see it. They just want to reject it. We're going to talk about him in a little bit because that's the last part of our pathway of suffering you need to understand. All right, look with me at verse 16. Not only do they not like Jesus, look at what else they did, and this is something that you see happening all around you even now today. Here it is. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Here's what I want you to see. Their opposition to sharing the gospel will bring judgment. So again, let me just tell you, nobody, can I be honest with you, you've got the greatest message in the world, salvation through Jesus Christ who brings forgiveness. Have you noticed that there are people who don't want to hear that? Have you ever been told, I have been told many times, don't bother me with that, quit telling me that. Have you ever had that happen? I've had that happen. That's the opposition. And that's what you and I are called to endure. 
Because you know that that message, that gospel, remember that's the foundation that we're enduring on. That message isn't a message from men, it's from God. And it changes you. And you know that if they understood that message, it will change them. But you're told to not share it anymore. That's part of the suffering thing, right? Let's go on. Verse 18 kind of brings us down to the final thing. Why is this all happening? Why is this all happening? Here's what you need to understand. If you're going to understand the pathway of suffering, here it is. The source of the opposition is Satan. Look at what he says here, verse 18. He's talking about his desire to want to come see them. Oh, he tried many times to come see them. Many times to come see them. And look with me at verse 18. He says, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But... Satan hindered us. All right, let me just stop for a moment. Have you ever, I mean, I've, I get to this sometimes. You're like, you're interacting with people and, and the, the, the message is there, your life is there, and it's like, why can't they see it? Have you ever been that way? Talk to a loved one. I mean, it is very clear it's there and they are, they cannot see it. In fact, you, it's almost like, it, in fact, at first you were like, man, I'm not saying it the right way or I'm not answering the right questions or I'm not doing, and, and the reality is, is that no, it's not you. It's not you. Can I tell you that right now? If you need to, write that down. It's not you. It's because they can't see it. And the reason why they can't see it is because they're blinded. Blinded by what, George? Blinded by the enemy, Satan, and he's real. And the source of the difficulties in your life is Satan. All you got to do, here, you know what? The greatest book on suffering is Job. I would encourage you to read it. Job's an interesting guy. Job goes through some difficult times. Well, here's the thing. First two chapters of Job you see this heavenly conversation that Job's not even aware of between Satan and the Lord. And the Lord says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him. Boy, Job is a great guy, isn't it? Loves me. Satan says, if you let me touch him, he'll curse you. God says, okay. Take all his stuff. Just don't touch his life. So what happens? He gets into financial ruin, loses all of his kids. Chapter 2. Have you considered my servant Job? It's not like him. You know what? It's because you're protecting him. Okay. Touch his body. Just don't kill him. It covers him with boils, with suffering. What's going on? You and I live in a spiritual world that we're not even aware of. You need to understand that because you and I are in a pathway of suffering. Now, how do you get through that? Let me, let me just say this. How do you and I get through that? Because, remember, it's universal. It's normal. How do we get through that? Go back to verse 13. We have our hope in a person. That's what the message is about, right? That's what the word of God is about. It's about a person. Who's the person? Jesus. What do we know about that person? He died on the cross. He didn't just give us forgiveness, folks. He didn't just give you somewhere later by and by. He gave you victory now over who? 
Satan. That's what gets you through it. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.